I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 98. Um, Psalm 98, as you guys know, we've been walking our way through the 10 words in Exodus chapter 20, sometimes called the 10 commandments. But for this Sunday, we will take a brief hiatus from that set of sermons to take a look at this Psalm, um, Psalm 98. Just pastorally and personally, I've been thinking a lot over the last several months really about what it means to praise God. What does, what does that actually mean? And so to that end, and exploring that together with you tonight as somewhat of an interlude from our Ten Commandments series, I want to take a look at Psalm 98 together. So I'm going to be reading Psalm 98, and as is our custom, we will pair that sermon text with a reading from the opposite testament, in this case, the New Testament. And um, I will pray, and we will see what the Lord might want to say to us tonight. So listen to these words from Psalm 98 beginning in verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Would you listen to these words from 1 Peter? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask in your kindness and in your mercy that in these moments together with this, your word, that you would do the thing that you've promised to do. Would you, by the power of your spirit, travel alongside these words? Would you shine light on them? Lord, would you shine light on the words that I've prepared? And would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls. And Lord, we pray that you would stir up in us fresh hope in our Lord Jesus, we pray. And we pray this in his name, the name of Christ. Amen. So 
We have a little girl named Millie. You guys have seen her around before. She is five years old. And Millie loves playing with little toys of all kinds. She has all these trinkety toy animal people things that she loves to play with. They're small, they can get lost, you can step on them at inconvenient times, and they hurt more than you would think they would, okay? Um, But she is also the night owl of her family, meaning about 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock, man, she just starts going. She starts talking, she starts singing, she starts playing, like that's her golden hour, you know? And there are certain Sundays where I don't really know quite the way to explain this, but we just, we just can't really do that anymore. So, so we tell her, baby, it's time to go to your bed. And um, she'll get in her bed and she'll still be like chatty and she'll still be back there singing and she'll be like, she'll put her feet up on the, on the headboard of her bed and kind of look at the ceiling and all these kind of things. So my wife Mandy, in her wisdom, eventually gave Millie this little flashlight and she said to her, hey, you can just play um, with your little toys with this flashlight and it'll be dark, but you'll have your little flashlight and you can play with them under the covers and you can start to calm down. So she does that. And there was one particular night where she's back there playing with her little toys with her little flashlight. And she she says, Daddy, and I go in there, and she's like, my flashlight's not working. And sure enough, the little flashlight, we can't get it to work. I don't know if it was a battery thing. Um, I may or may not have checked to make sure it was a battery thing. Um, We we checked, and we tried, and, and I just said, baby, your flashlight's not working. And she said, okay, well, then what am I going to do? And I said, well, why don't you just play in the dark? And she looks at me and she says, you mean like play through the dark? And I said, yeah. And then she says again, you mean like play through the dark? Now, I'm going to change one word from Millie to make it an introduction to tonight's sermon. So she said, you mean like play in the dark. What if I said to you, you mean like praise through the dark? That sentence, praise through the dark, would be a pretty good summary of what the Psalms of the Bible are about. See, for thousands of years, both as the Old Testament people of God and for a few thousand more as the New Testament people of God, the church, for thousands of years, God's people have continued to praise him right through the dark. And they've done that in at least two ways, okay? The first way that they have been praised through the dark would be praising him in spite of the fact that things are difficult and challenging. And part of what it means to praise God 
is to bring the difficulty and the challenging things before him and be honest about those things. See, the scriptures will call this lament. When we take the honest, difficult, painful things in our lives and we we don't pretend that those things don't exist, but instead we bring them before God's very presence. That's called lament. But, But a second way God's people have continued to praise him and praise him, if you will, through the dark is by consistently, actively, remembering his faithfulness in the past. Because there's something about remembering God's faithfulness in the past that's a powerful way to cling to his promises for the future. And so that is what we're going to do together tonight. We're gonna try to remember together some of God's past faithfulness to Grace Fellowship, to you all, through this psalm as a way to stir our hearts afresh for the future. Before we get into this psalm, I want to say one more little pastoral note. It has been a difficult stretch, a particularly dark stretch. I mean, I think we see this in a couple ways. Number one, I, I watch the same news that you watch. But it's, it's more than that. There's the stuff that happens out there, but there's also the stuff that happens in here among us. And from my vantage point, I can tell you it has been a particularly dark stretch of weeks in the life of Grace Fellowship. But I can also tell you that God has really been at work among us. So tonight will at least be about me letting you into sort of my vantage point in that as well. So here is the main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is the main thing. Um, I, think, I think what this psalm and, and the thoughts that we will draw from it teaches us is that Christ has rescued you and me in order that we might praise him. That's what your salvation is for, that you might praise him. And to make that point to you, we're going to go three different directions here. We're going to have three different pieces to this sermon. First of all, I want to look at Psalm 98 and just talk to you about some of the images and the words here in this psalm, okay? There's a lot of things we could say about Psalm 98. I'm going to pick out two or three important things. The the second thing I want to make sure that we do together is for me to just share a couple of pastoral words of comfort for you, okay? And then the third thing is you're going to have a chance to hear a song of sorts from Grace Fellowship. And I'll explain what I mean by that later. So let's take a look at Psalm 98, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. So the phrase in the Psalms, a new song, let me just explain to you what it means. It means at least something musically and liturgically, and then it also means something somewhat figuratively. So for example, in the um, day of temple worship, when God's people would be gathered in the temple courts to praise him, on occasion, a worship leader would stand up and he would say to the worshipers, hey, I have a new song here for you today. 
And a lot of times what that would mean is that either there was a familiar tune that the worship leader had put fresh words to, or perhaps there was familiar words that the worship leader was going to put a new musical arrangement. That's what it might mean literally. But throughout the Psalms, metaphorically, the idea of a new song carries with it this meaning that God, our God, is constantly giving us things to praise him for. He's constantly giving us new and fresh things for us to see, for us to hear, for us to witness him do. Our lives, in many ways, can be understood as something of a scavenger hunt, following the clues of our life to new, fresh things to worship God for. And the worship leader here wants the worshipers to engage in some new, fresh act of praise. So a new song. And here's why the worship leader wants a new song sung. Look at verse 1 again. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The psalmist immediately calls to God's people to worship him, and that's going to begin by looking at things God had done for his people in the past. He has done marvelous things. Now, a marvelous thing in the language of the Psalms can either be some kind of supernatural, extraordinary intervention where God has swooped in and done something powerful. And at Grace Fellowship, we have stories of God having done that among us. But a marvelous thing in the language of the Psalms can also mean simply something surprising. Perhaps it's something very ordinary but you just didn't expect it, or perhaps you hadn't noticed it before, or perhaps you thought of it in a fresh way. And we have stories at Grace Fellowship of God doing marvelous things in those ordinary ways as well. Again at verse one, his right hand, his holy arm, have worked salvation for him. In the Psalms, the image of God's right arm or his right hand is an image of strength and victory. So the psalmist is celebrating some sort of victory God has given his people. But it's very obvious in this psalm in particular that it's not a specific battle or, any of, or anything like that, but it's more of a general victory that God has given his people. I mean... It's not likely that this week one or two or three or four of us went out to some battle and saw God win a military victory for us. But for thousands of years, Christians have read this psalm in particular as a way in which Christians have noticed how God gives victory over the spiritual battles that we endure in our life. You know, the, the, the promise in scripture is that you and I live in a dark world and we wrestle against spiritual battles. There's rulers and authorities and principalities that we do battle with. We wrestle, the apostle Paul tells us, not against flesh and blood, but instead against darkness, 
And this psalm reminds us that God has promised to give us victory in those places. Let me just unfold this a little more for you. There are some patterns of sin that might feel in your heart and in your life so entrenched. It feels like nothing less than a battle of your spirit against your flesh, the part of you that seeks to oppose the work of God's spirit in us. Let me unfold it a little bit more. There are for some of us these pressures that we are feeling from the world. The pressure you feel with, with whether it's your finances or your career or keeping up or making sure you're doing all the things, the kind of pressure cooker you and I live in. It feels like nothing less than a battle. The scriptures would tell us that we live in a world that seeks to press us into its mold. And then, of course, the scriptures leave us a way to understand this supernatural evil. The scriptures teach that there is a devil who, who prowls around like a roaring lion in order to seek those that he would want to devour. And it feels like nothing less than a battle. And what this psalm promises us is that our Lord is at work to bring victory over those things. He's never not bringing victory. Look at verse two. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Verse three, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the earth has seen the salvation of our God. See, one of the things God does when he acts is he acts to remember his steadfast love and faithfulness. And these phrases, steadfast love and faithfulness, are very important phrases in the Bible. Let me see if I can explain steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Steadfast love and faithfulness is just this concept that God will be relentlessly faithful to every single thing that he has promised. He will never stop being totally and completely, inexhaustibly faithful to every single thing that he's promised. If he has promised it, you know it will happen because he will ensure that it does. It's the love that he has for his people that keeps coming after them and keeps coming after them and keeps coming after them and keeps coming after them. Here's a way to think of it. Let me just ask it to you as a question. When has God failed to be faithful in your life with something he's promised to do? Sometimes around Grace Fellowship, 
at our staff table will say, when has the Lord failed to be faithful to his promises? And then we say to each other, I'll wait. And we'll sit there and see if anybody can come up with an instance. God never fails to do the things he's promised to do. But this is difficult. Because God does not always do things we want. This is difficult because God does not always give us what we think we needed. He has not always given me what I thought I needed. Y'all, I'll speak for me. Sometimes I live some of my life frustrated with the Lord for not giving things or doing things that he has never promised to give or do. For example, small example. Like I want my children to be like healthy and not sick. He's never promised that. I want to feel a sense of success in my vocation. He's not promised that. I want to be able to navigate my life in relative ease and comfort. He has never promised that. In fact, he promises the opposite. That we will have trouble. The psalm goes on, verses 4 and 5 and 6, to call upon the orchestra, if you will. It's like the worship leader begins to tell the different instrumentalists to join in the song. And it ends in verses 7, 8, and 9, calling on all of the created order to join in the song. See, the scriptures teach that the natural world itself praises God constantly. And you and I, when we walk into a room like this, for that moment, we enter into it too. So this psalm is a psalm, it's a summons to praise God with kind of a fresh joy in our hearts because of the real live things he's done for us. Now, second part of the sermon, let me just speak a couple of pastoral words to you. You see, when I come to this room tonight with a psalm that talks about singing fresh songs of praise to the Lord, I understand keenly that there are many people in this room tonight, and it's hard. It's hard for them to see it. I understand that there are many people in this room that, I don't know, you're just not really feeling it. Maybe you're discouraged for some reason. Maybe the darkness is feeling particularly dark to you. There are some that are in this room tonight that are straining to take hold of it. You're like, Joel, I'm with you. I want a new song in my mouth and I'm trying. 
And I know that there are people in this room who feel a bit overwhelmed by, I don't know, everything. (laughs) And if that's you tonight, I want to say at least the following things to you. First of all, I want to tell you, I totally understand. Second thing I want to tell you is I'm sorry. Third thing I want to tell you, it is normal to feel that way. The fourth thing I want to tell you is that the way to stir up hope in your heart is to look to what he has done for you in the past. So let me ask you a series of questions. When has he helped you? What did he do for you then? What did he do for you there? How did he provide for you in that moment? Where would you be if not for you fill in the blank? Where has he changed you? Where you were one thing, but now you're something different because of his grace. The second just pastoral word I want to mention to you is just simply the word Christ. Because as your pastor, I cannot promise you that your life will be easier from this worship service beyond. But I can take some moments to tell you of the provision that has already been given to you in the person and work of Jesus. And let me outline some of that for you. In Christ, you have one who knows your exact situation, who's been tempted and tried in every way that you are. But the good news is, without sin. So that not only can he be this sympathetic high priest, he can also at the same time be a rescuer and redeemer. Second thing, this Jesus who knows your situation actually says to you and to me to come to me. I will give you rest if you're heavy laden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, it's a promise for his presence to carry you along in difficulty. Fourth thing, whatever the chaotic, hellish things that you might be walking through, you can know for sure, for sure, that those things have been decisively defeated in the cross of Christ. He has won a great victory and destroyed the works of the devil, the scriptures teach us. In his resurrection, he, he's arisen with the keys of death and Hades, having conquered them. The scriptures teach that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and at this very moment, he rules the universe by the word of his power, despite how things might seem and feel to you. As if that were not good enough, he's given us his spirit to be our comforter in pain and difficulty. A beautiful additional thing he's done is he has called you and given you a church family a group of burden bearers who can walk with you.
And see, all those things are things Jesus has done for us in the past that has present tense benefits for you and for me. And in the future, he promises to return and make all things new and right. See, Christ has redeemed and saved you in order that he, that you might be a person who lives a life of praise. Y'all, here's a way that I think about it personally. Let me see if this resonates with you. The arc of our lives is long. There are long days, there are long weeks, there are long months, there are long years, there are long decades. But the arc of our lives are bending toward Christ being a new song giver for you and for me. He promises, he promises to make us into this kind of worshiper. Finally, as we conclude tonight, I want to share with you some new Grace Fellowship songs. That does not mean I'm about to sing right now. But from the first lines of this song, of singing to the Lord a new song because he's done marvelous things, I asked a group of you to write me and tell me some marvelous things he's done some ways that he's put new songs in your mouth. So I'm gonna read those for you. Listen to this. I feel like the Lord has been using specific circumstances in my life to chip away at my tendency to obsess over what people are thinking about me. And I've been able to let that go and let go of my people-pleasing fears more readily and to rest in what Jesus actually thinks of me instead. It's a marvelous thing. Second, I see the Lord doing slow surgery to relieve me of my cynicism and woundedness. Though it has been a painful process, I now am experiencing deeper joy and freedom in my day-to-day life, especially as I participate in his church. The Lord is faithful to do healing work. It's a marvelous thing. I've seen the faithful presence of the Lord in his spirit and in his people at Grace Fellowship. God has been faithful in meeting me as I've hesitantly laid down my idols that have shaped my validation always. And in turn, he's given me the gift of himself. It's a marvelous thing. Within our home group, I've seen the Lord bring community and belonging to those who were searching and longing for it. It's a marvelous thing. Somebody else wrote about home group and, and basically said, group, a group of people that I wouldn't normally be friends with, I now love so dearly like they're family members. But no offense to if you're amen. It's a marvelous thing. Here's another home group related thing. Home group has been a tangible sign of God's faithfulness in my own life. It's a special thing to participate in a community that beautifully and naturally rejoices with those who rejoice and mourns with those who mourn. The weeks are very busy and it can be easy to think of home group as one more thing on my calendar. I always leave each night feeling refreshed and reminded of God's care for his people and for me personally. It's a marvelous thing. Our family has endured, had to endure a lot of difficulty this, in this season, and this church has been an overwhelming support for us. It's a marvelous thing. 
The Lord in his faithfulness has healed and redeemed pain in relationships. He has brought life, closeness, and restoration from a path we thought might lead to separation and brokenness. And I think this is a sign that he's maturing us as his people. It's a marvelous thing. I can see the Lord's faithfulness as he so graciously pursues me. The more I see him and know him, the more I can sense that I'm being held, held by him. Not held from pain and hardship, but held to a promise of all things being made new and evil one day becoming untrue. It's a marvelous thing. As for God's faithfulness to me personally, I would say that he has been a gentle and repetitive teacher. Two main ways that I see his work and faithfulness to me is the way he has set me free from people's expectations, including my own. He's given me freedom from performing and trying my best to be good enough. This allows me to say to myself and to others in freedom, when doing things and making decisions because I have known the pressure of expectation and relief of acceptance and unearned favor. The second thing is I feel that God has put his love in my heart for others, sometimes patience where I normally would have been frustrated and compassion in the place of where I would be annoyed. It's a marvelous thing. The marvelous thing that God has done is that I come to see that I'm deeply disappointed when there's Sundays when I can't be at church. I will do just about anything to keep from missing no matter the inconvenience of getting there. If I feel that it's been a busy or hard wake, I crave being with God's people even more. I've come to find that coming here and worshiping is too critical for my life, and I love this. I've not always felt this way in church. I love being in a church where I feel refreshed in the hope of the gospel week after week after week. It's a marvelous thing. Although difficult and challenging at times, I've seen the ways our people have remained together and remained committed to gathered worship and the teaching of God's word, have continued to show up and be together, whether that was in blazing heat, freezing cold, mass, no mass, indoors, outdoors. Our people endured and faced the unknown with faith, and I can see the ways the Lord is producing fruit from those days and the ways he's used it to bring maturity in our body and steadfast commitment to one another. It's a marvelous thing. The Lord has been faithful in this season to sustain us, to hold us up, to give us peace, and to set a path in front of us even when we cannot see it. It feels that I've waited a long time for the Lord to make home group a home, faithful to transform what I wanted to skip into a weekly means of his grace. It's a marvelous thing. Here's the last one. Patterns of sin that have beset me for decades. Slowly, I see the Spirit putting those things to death and giving me victory over them. See, the Bible teaches us, and our own experiences teach us, that God is in the work of putting new songs in our mouth that we might praise him. Christ saved you and me in order that we might praise him. Lord, you have been good and you have done marvelous things for us. Lord, you've been so faithful and so kind. And Lord, I pray that our past experiences of your grace would give us present tense comfort. Lord, I pray that it would also give us future hope. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who learn to praise you, learn to sing through the darkness, Lord, learn to sing in sorrow, learn to sing in joy, learn to fight battles 
Lord, with our voices. We pray. And we pray this in the name of our Lord. Amen.